Dear organizers and participants at this conference, dear members of the Pontifical University of St. Thomas and members of the Thomistic Institute, together with its accomplished past and future directors, Professor Walter Senna and Professor Thomas Joseph White, dear fellow Dominican brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. I believe you have a, a sheet of themes and theses, yes? Yes, wonderful. That might help you. I will try and call out the numbers. Uh, everyone have that? Yeah? Okay. Try and call out the numbers that are listed there. Um, so number one, the introduction. I want to thank the organizers of this conference for inviting me to speak here today and for placing my address between the talks of the past director and the future director of the Instituto. That provides me an opportunity to express already at the start of my talk my gratitude and admiration for the work of Professor Walter Senna, as well as my admiration for the work of Professor Thomas Joseph White and my hopes for his future work as director here. At first glance, or from a great distance, the question of the fittingness of the continuation and renewal of an institute for Thomistic studies in our times might seem all too much like the risky prospect of redeveloping an abandoned mine. Not only that it can be a matter of disputed record, what the value was of all that had earlier been taken from the mine, but it is likely unclear whether or not it might have been mined out long ago, and whether, worse than pointless, the neglected infrastructure might pose new dangers to go down there uh, to search. If refigured goals and new methods of reception were unavailable, such worries would be insurmountable. What outweighs such worries in our case, even at an initial stage of evaluation, is the unbroken development of new methods and new search results that have made the writings of Thomas Aquinas a never completely neglected, indeed, a much visited query in recent medievistic and systematic work. That is not meant to deny that there has been a shift in principle away from the kind of authoritative place that the writings of Thomas once held in Catholic thought, nor is it the goal of this talk to suggest that we should seek that place again, even in its better incarnations. The loss of Thomas as Dr. Comunis has helped us sharpen our understanding of Thomas as himself, of what was perceived in his own time as characteristic of his thought, how he situated himself positively or critically among his diverse sources and dialogue partners, how to identify his distinctive place among his contemporaries and ours. Attention to historical prefigurations can serve us its own surprising riches for systematic refigurations. But remembering anew presupposes a certain forgetting that belongs to the work of history. As Hans Georg Gadamer once famously put it, quote, in ways that are largely overlooked, forgetting belongs to the relation between retaining and remembering. Forgetting means not merely loss and privation, but, as Friedrich Nietzsche stressed, it is a necessary condition for the life of our mind. It is only by forgetting that our mind receives the possibility of a thoroughgoing renewal, the ability to see things anew with a fresh look, 
so that what was old and familiar now blends with what is newly seen into a multi-dimensional unity in ways that are largely overlooked, forgetting belongs to the relation between retaining and remembering. Forgetting means not merely loss of privation, but as Nietzsche stressed, it is a necessary condition for the life of the mind. Um, it is only by forgetting that our mind receives the possibility of a thoroughgoing renewal, the ability to see things anew with a fresh look, so that what was old and familiar now blends with what is newly seen into a multidimensional unity. End of quote. The historically rediscovered Thomas, who stood at times quite alone in the midst of his own medieval controversies, is the same figure who later, for a time, was revered as the Dr. Comunis of the wider church. In any case, the arguments that will concern us here today do not address primarily the quantitative issues of the real or imagined popularity of past and future Thomistic studies, but rather the qualitative questions of how the renewed study of St. Thomas might be described, developed, and yes, recommended in and for our times aided by the multifaceted arts of historical recollection. Two, the question of why and how to study the writings of Thomas Aquinas today forces us to ask first what the wider field of contemporary theology as a whole, together with its neighboring disciplines, can gain from and give to our own times. That is obviously a far wider and a far more heated topic than the theme of this conference. It names a basic quandary in today's church and academy that can neither be ignored nor dealt with adequately here. However perplexed the resulting situation of our question might seem, we cannot state what we are seeking from the renewed study of St. Thomas without indicating what today are the more fundamental desiderata of theology and of its neighboring disciplines. For an indication of what such an answer might look like, uh, admittedly more pars pro toto than we would like, we can recall here from the 16th century a transformative but controversial study of Thomas's thought that has recently, including the last 20 years, found new transformative interests well beyond those concerned with Thomism, much less this phase of Thomism or this particular author adding new controversies to the older ones, especially among contemporary German-speaking Roman Catholic theologians who are seeking to describe and recommend the general direction of their own theological uh, research and pastoral practice. Because of its relevance for the global situation, I would like to recall briefly recent German language debates on the best possible reception and development of a few key ideas that were first made programmatic in Melchior Cano's De Lotsis Theologicis, and which, forgetting for a moment some um, of Cano's own preeminent argumentative goals, have been inscribed during the last 20 years into the so-called spatial turn that has signaled a far-reaching shift in the direction of the humane sciences. The refigurement of the topic of place in philosophical discourse and the bifurcation 
of the Lotsi Theologici into Lotsi Proprii and Lotsi Alieni have provided a language which, removed from the narrow context of Kano's own work and aims, has set parameters for the recent discussion of basic options for theological reflections today and for the near future. Three. Most of you know of Kano's uneven personality and controversial work in greater depth than what can be discussed here. While describing himself as a member Nostre Familiae Divi Tome, Kano would also recall views of his own immediate teacher and predecessor, Francisco de Vitoria, and claim it as his duty to go beyond the letter of St. Thomas as the reverence do any master. That makes good sense, even if it hardly justifies the first part of a recent claim that Kano is separated from, quote, Kano separated from Thomas in essence and by an entire world, end quote. Admittedly, the worlds of the two friars and their practical aims differed greatly. Since the studies of Jose Ignacio Telechea Idigaras on Kano's harsh critique of Bartolome de Carranza, there has been a growing understanding of just how enmeshed even Kano's seemingly systematic work was in the violent political and juridical context of religious questions in his own times. I'd refer you there to a convincing uh, article by Uri Korst about whom we've already heard today in uh, 1979 in the Freiburger Zeitschrift für Philosophie und Theologie. Yet it was in Kano's earlier commentaries on the Summa Theologiae that he first identified most of the ten Lotsi Theologici as categories of authoritative resources for valid argumentation about controverted theological issues. Kano recollected Thomas in the context of his own day, but he did so in a way that allowed us to view Thomas's work in the context of ancient dialectic, so even going back further, especially to Cicero, Aristotle, and Plato. This led to the discovery, sharper than ever stated by Thomas himself, of the locus alienos of human history to which we will return. The Lotsi Te Logitsi will provide the title and theme of Kano's modern opus, on which he, he lived from 1509 to 1560, in which Kano worked off and on for some 20 years prior to his death at 51 years of age. The 12 completed books out of a projected 14 were published for the first time in Salamanca some three years after his death and reprinted a good 30 times later, well after their initial uh, practical context had long been forgotten. The chief opponent of and driving motivation for Connell's work was the uh, then new Lutheran rejection of scholastic theology as a whole. Connell's own uh, defense of scholastic theology as a still vital source for contemporary theological thought, addressed particularly in the eighth book on the last of the Lotsi Theologici Proprii, surprises the reader with its sharp critique uh, much, uh, of much of what had already passed as scholasticism. He doesn't give a pretty picture of that. By, his sharp, by the sharp polemic 
of a famously polemic author against the use of polemicism in theological debates. Come back to a theme of the first talk today. And by its warning not to defend scholastic positions by simply appealing to the fame of its various great names, presumably including Thomas's own one, but rather by tracing their thought back to the fathers, the councils, and the sacred scriptures which had featured among Kano's previous Lotzi Propri of theology, and for which Kano saw the scholastic literature as too valuable a witness to be ignored. In contemporary terms, scholasticism is to be studied uh, as a tool of ressourcement. Four, the key to the alternative that Kano develops here to Moranton's Lotzi Communes and its widely received discussion of the central topics and themes of reformational theology is Kano's own implicit claim to be the better humanist, at least in the sense of utilizing to a greater degree the philosophical potential of Cicero's notion of the topoi or lotzi as developed above all in his topics. Kano cites Cicero many, more than any other author. He imitates his style and vocabulary. Thanks to Cicero's description in his Topica of certain kinds of arguments as initially related only extrinsicus to the matter under discussion, Kano was able to make the generic distinction between lotzi propri and lotzi alieni, which, as we shall see, is the focus of most of the current German language interest in the work. Kano characterizes his last three topoi as lotzi alieni, as initially non-faith-based sources of experimental and experiential learning that are nonetheless crucial, if initially extrinsic, sources for theology. Without them, there would be no theology. The very notion of locus, <clears throat> drawn from the philosophical topics, belongs to this group. They describe the three resources of the sciences, the history of philosophy and human history. As the sciences, philosophy or philosophers, therefore history of philosophy, and human history. And with that, the category of the Lotzi. Five, the two most prominent and good part rival attempts at a contemporary reading and development in today's German language theology of the topics and their insights into the sources or places of theology can be divided into the integrative and the alienational interpretations, integrative and alienational. As we shall see, both shifted away from an occupation with the author of this work or the immediate scope of, of his aims, practical aims, and both will argue in a direction, in fact, quite opposite to Kano's own, brushing history against the grain in an attempt to see things anew with a fresh look. Both suggest the refigurement of the Lotzi Te Logizzi as local theology, a theology in conversation with the spatial turn of recent studies in humane sciences with a new sense of situatedness. The alienational direction of this local theology is most prominently represented today by Hans-Joachim Zander's development of Elmar Klinger's renewal of interest in Kano's suggestion, while the former, more integrative project that has been developed 
by Bernhard Kerner, systematic extension of Mach Seckler's responses to Klinger. In other words, the alienational model has been developed especially by Klinger in Würzburg and then Sander in Salzburg, and the integrative model by Mark Seckler in Tübingen and then by Bernhard Kerner in Graz, so that the discussion has shifted from Germany to Austria. What might escape the notice of more popular descriptions, not one but both models have been proposed as a programmatic path towards securing a freedom for theological research uh, that is in a direction that is initially perhaps quite at odds with Kano's original purposes, even while developing the topical model of his work. The integrative reading promoted by Seckler's notion of epistemological Catholicism, epistemological Catholicism, suggests a convergent theory of truth that brings together, that integrates, the two genre of Lozi, the Propri and the Ariani, in a relation that could be represented, if you will, by the two Fozi of an, of an ellipse. In this, it approximates as well many of the features articulated elsewhere by Paul Ricoeur, who argued in his studies the self as another for this kind of tension and unity between an initial and abiding sense of selfhood and its increasing relationship to the other, the, to the other than self, or to the other than subjectivity, that only together constitute a genuinely flourishing self with and for others in just institutions. Along similar lines, Mark Seckler's sense of epistemological Catholicism insists on the need to integrate progressively alongside the Lozi Alieni all the distinct Lozi property which might for a time seem at odds with one another. Say, for example, tradition might seem at odds to a magisterial declaration, but which in this complementarity make it not less but more capable of relating to the Lozi Alieni. But let us begin with the alternative model, and that is uh, my number two here, the aleational development of the Lozi Theologici, number six in the Arabic numbering. The alienation of interpretation of the Lozi, while occasionally endorsing the same elliptical metaphor that is suggested by Ricoeur and Seckler, seeks by means of a simpler and incompatible local model of the outside and the outsider, das Außen in German, the normative dominance of what initially were foreign and non-congenial or alien sources, which become the normative standards and locations of theology, precisely as Lozi Alieni Theologici. The future identity of, of the better theology is seen here as one marked chiefly by a pattern of, the, of descent, breach, or alienation from its theological predecessors. Its hallmark is its discontinuity. Interpreters in this direction of local theology refer gladly to the language of heterotopology in Michel Foucault's work, even while sharing less than Foucault the sense, the precise concern for history or his critique of the power dynamics within scientific institutions, presumably even within theological faculties. The goal of theology is viewed 
in the alienational model, less as the search for a convergence or a synthesis of arguments drawn from irreducibly diverse sources of the faith, as in Seckler's integrative development, but rather as the emphatic preservation of a central place for the theologically normative and political power of that ongoing descent from and within the classic magisterium, drawn from a culture that does not otherwise tend to identify itself as Christian. The alienational development of the consideration of theological Lotzi by assigning a privileged place to the Lotzi Alieni stands in the service of a robust assimilation of ecclesial identity to select aspects, especially of contemporary Western society. It prefers a hermeneutic of rupture over hermeneutic of reform for continuing the work of the Second Vatican Council. Given the external sources selected without much account of by whom or how the selection occurs, it often appears as a force of ecclesial self-secularization. Seven, the kinds of authority associated with the Lotzi Propria theology are understood by both interpretive directions as distinctive witnesses to the faith taken by many authors on both sides of the debate to correspond to familiar but uh, non-experiential sources of the faith. For Kano himself, as most of you will recall, the Lotzi Propri included first scripture, second, the oral tradition of Christ and the apostles, third, the wider church, fourth, the councils, fifth, the Roman church or apostolic see, sixth, the saints of the early church, seventh, the scholastic theology and canonistic thought. Kano argued that the authority of these authorities differs from text to text and proves to be initially elusive, even if in the end determinate for each of the Lotzi. The Lotzi propri all share with one another the direct intention to express the faith. In newer and thoroughly plausible interpretations, this list has been extended beyond the Lotzi enumerated by Kano to include such things as liturgy, ecumenism, Pazze, Melchior, Kano, and here, much closer to Kano, spirituality and the life experience of Christians and other, and, um, other people of religions as still further irreducible dimensions of the Lotzi Propri. Contemporary readings suggest something like a convergence model of truth requiring necessary complementarity among the Lotzi. That too, I believe, in distinction from Kano's intentions. Eight. Of a different genre, not indigenous to or directly expressive of the Christian faith, Kano also identified three classes of the Lotzi Alieni as essential for theological argumentation and, at least implicitly, for maintaining and developing faith itself. Natural reason, taken broadly to include the chief academic disciplines and sciences, so locus eight, Augmented, secondly, by the work of philosophers and thus the history of philosophy, place number nine, and not yet in Kano's Summa Commentaries, but in this major work, by human history and the work of historians, number 10. All three of these Lotzi Alieni denote positions of direct or indirect experience, potentially if not actually one's own, by which or within which faith must be tested affirmed and reinterpreted. Nine, 
The Lozzi Alieni, including the final site described by Carnot and Wong and innovative book 11 as Historia Humana, are viewed by proponents of recent alienational interpretations chiefly as expressions of our own and our own time's immediate experiences, as contemporary history, if you will. The history of historians discussed by Kano is often reduced by the alienational model to an attentiveness to current trends, arguably a shift away from diachronic alterity. It threatens to lose sight of what Johann Baptist Metz, using a term made famous by Ernst Bloch, had described in 1979 as productive non-contemporaneity. By privileging the synchronic sense of history to current events, this direction of local theology has, has little to set against the collapse of ecstatic temporal imagination into the horizon of the present, as it is articulated by the sciences and technologies of an increasingly managed academic institution in the fields first addressed in Area 8, select uh, late modern and postmodern philosophers and um, development of, of Locus Number 9, and alongside contemporary Western European cultural trends, so in the sense of human history or the final locus. These trends, now interpreted synchronically, are often numbered among the positively charged signa temporum that urge an accommodation of present-day pastoral practice to contemporary customs previously thought to be at odds with the ecclesial community. Kano's interest in the recollection of diachronic temporality is replaced here by a more synchronic attention to the facticity of our own day, viewed with minimum regard for earlier epochs or for the saeculum futurum. The alienational interpretation of the Lozi um, develops a local theology with four steps that lead progressively from away from Kano's analysis of his new discovery. First, local theology means here less a unity and tension between the two groups of Lotzi than it does a decisive shift of gravity favoring non-theological sources and outside contexts, so-called Ortswechsel. Secondly, within the group of non-theological sources, history is accorded more weight than natural reason or philosophical discourse. Thirdly, history is considered here, as was said, less in its diachronic quality than as a synonym for movements within the cultural world of our own times. The fourth difference suggests a new ease of discernment, not the scrutiny of, say, Gaudium et Spes IV, uh, that renders superfluous Kano's hopes to resolve the uncertainties of history and historians. In Book 11, Kano had thematized the difficult but not insurmountable challenge that conflicting historical claims can pose to those wishing to utilize history in theology and other sciences. He uh, brought oh, over 20 examples of contradictory claims uh, to uh, facts, or to claims to facts of sacred and secular history, but he then also suggested how to resolve these 20 conflicts decisively or at least plausibly. Kano offered a rough account of which historians are most reliable for which fields. 
Where a consensus of historical judgment is reached, he tells us, it can be viewed by the theologians as having the same certitude as evident human reason. By this process, Kano recalls Aristotle's original sense of topics as a method for developing rational plausibility precisely for fields of initial uncertainty. This need for, adju for adjudication among conflicting claims characterized Kano's treatment of each place, certainly more than it did his own temperament or the practical motivation of his work. No locus of theological argumentation from the scriptures to scholasticism and on to human history is suggested as providing its uh, resources without the need for examination and some method of providing it. The topics had from the beginning been developed as an art for plausible reasoning within still disputed realms. Number 10, an excursus on the post-conciliar readings of the Council. The focus of our conference after Vatican II requires here a short excursus. In the first decades after the Council, much of the debate about its legacy was set in terms of two questions, whether it had been in discontinuity or continuity with the past, and whether this stance was to be embraced or not. Each of the four logical possibilities that come from these two questions found prominent supporters. One, that the Council was a brand new and long overdue innovation, whether or not sustained after the Council. Two, that it was a sad and sudden loss of identity perpetuated afterwards. Three, that the Council was a welcome reaffirmation of tradition, whether or not sustained after the Council. And four, that it was a missed chance for genuine self-reform and that perpetuated after the Council. As a result of historical studies around the 40th anniversary, the discussions and texts of the Council as a mix of discontinuity and continuity were documented in great detail. The hermeneutical directions around the 50th anniversary and until today for interpreting this mix uh, absorbed aspects of the older four models, but with a clearer sense of the compromises in the agreed texts of the Council, two hermeneutical options remained prominent. One, the view that only the innovations belong to the genuine spirit of the Council and are in need of something like a Third Vatican Council to isolate them from the compromises and to translate them into pastoral practice. And two, the view that the Council's conscious ambiguity was a mandate for a future theological synthesis of the heterogeneous moments and a pastoral reform corresponding to such a synthesis. 11. In his commentary on Gaudium et Spes for the Herder Theological Commentary on the Second Vatican Council, edited by Peter Hunemann and Bernd Jochen Hilberach in 2005, Hans Joachim Zander of Salzburg has developed a thoroughgoing appropriation of the language of local theology and the spatial turn unmatched among the many studies of the Council. He develops a whole vocabulary and logic of local theology in order to analyze Gaudium et Spes and bring the spatial turn into dialogue with the signs of the times, with the temporal image. Characteristic of this discussion after the year 2000, Kano is referenced directly only three times, 
but his distinction between the Lozi Propri and the Lozi Alieni is basic to Sandra's entire project. One might say that Kano himself had been forgotten so as to recall and reconfigure local theology. In continuation of the thoughts on dissent articulated by Elmar Klinger in Würzburg, organizer and head of the study project there on Kano's work that was financed from 2006 to 2009 by the Deutsche Forschungsgemeinschaft, Sander argues that the better passages of Gaudium et Spes acknowledge um, a primacy of the outside as the leading pastoral guide to the future doctoral identity of the church. He succeeds in combining this local metaphor, inside-outside, with the temporal one of reading the signs of the times. To this end, however, he passes over the increasing nuance that the council itself had brought to the task of reading the signs of the times, which to a large degree had been thanks to a moment of ecumenical learning initiated at the council by the interventions of Lukas Fischer, the official observer from the World Council of Churches. Sander devotes much more space, but even less sympathy, to the still unedited memorandum written and spoken by Karl Rahner for the German Bishops' Conference at Fulda at the end of August 1965. Well known, if still unedited, ever since Turbanti's a pioneer study of the pastoral constitution. These two not unimportant details are symptomatic of the limits of the alienational model of place. The attention to the outside demands its integration by the subject who seeks to include it without loss of its ability to do so. Now my fourth section, number 12 here in your thesis list, the integrative reading of the Lotzi. An alternative path was opened after the Council by the integrative interpretation of local theology as developed by Mark Seckler in Tübingen and by his student Bernhard Kerner now in Graz. This rereading of Kano's suggestions seeks more programmatically than the alienational model the need for the abiding dialogue of sources from the two groups as key to the identification of a distinctive and genuine Christian faith. And yet, this alternative to the alienational model is not merely a model of reaffirmed self-identity, an ideal that arguably had guided Kano's work, just as little as uh, the um, hermeneutics of reform for the council is not simply an assertion of continuity, but is a, a view of the mix of continuity and discontinuity so to hear the integrative model is a view towards combining the Lozi Alieni and the Lozi Propri. The integrative reading developed recently describes the Lozi Propri as Bezeugungsinstanzen, as faith witnesses, the Lozi Alieni as Bewährungsinstanzen, as witnesses apt to test the veracity and resilience of such testimony. It insists programmatically on the need for both it sees as necessary the heterogeneity of the Lotzi or sources drawn from both genre, but also the multiplicity of source types found within each of the two generic groups. This distinguishes the integrative model of multiple Lotzi from the simplicity of integralism, 
whether in the 16th century or the 20th and 21st. Drawing on the work of Hermann Josef Pottmeier, Kerner sees a fourfold need to augment Kano's categories, first by a topic, adding to the Lotsi Propri, such places as liturgy and spirituality, adding to the Lotsi Alieni, such places as interreligious dialogue. Two, a pragmatic on the interrelation of both kinds of Lotsi, or of all the Lotsi to one another, a criteriology of testing each of them, and finally, a hermeneutic regarding their meaning, implications, and limits. The program of epistemological Catholicity, suggested first by Kerner's teacher, Mark Seckler, first published in the Festschrift in 1987 for Josef Ratzinger, already a prefect of the uh, Congregation for Faith, was a sustained argument against, among other things, a reduction of the Lotsi propri of Catholic identity simply to the decisions and contemporary representatives of the magisterium. The dialogue among scripture, traditions, magisterium, theologies, etc., is needed to arrive at a fuller sense of the Catholic self that could enter into relationship with the Lotsi alieni. 13. The lessons to be learned here are at least twofold. The devaluation of the distinct sources of identity can lead the alienation of interpretation despite its sometimes romantic emphasis upon local terminology inexorably towards what Marc Roger has described as non, the non-place of homogeneity and assimilation. It lacks the uncommon reading of common resources. What ceases to come from and inhabit a particular place and situation starts to resemble all the others. In the language of the spatial term, it threatens to become a non-place. The standardized shopping mall or the airport or the fast food outlet, very much the same around the world, are examples of the kind of contemporary non-places that Marc Roger describes. The assimilation of Christian existence to a common sociological facticity like the replacement rather than the augmentation of the academic sphere of genuine theology by comparative religious and cultural studies is in danger of this kind of accommodationalist form of placelessness. 14. On the other hand, not only the neglect of the multifaceted sources of identity shared within the genus of proper places, but also the inattentiveness to the initially outside resources such as sciences, philosophies, and history, would prove destructive of the selfhood that is capable of flourishing only in fruitful alterity or in relationship to the other. One is reminded of John Henry Newman's insight that the power of assimilation that is necessary for genuine development of doctrine is corrupted by assimilating too little or too much. One is reminded of the dialectic of self another and recurs oneself as another, or as the recent studies of Therese Corey uh, on self-knowledge and Thomas Aquinas have shown, Thomas himself insisted programmatically in his own metaphysical epistemology on the interdependence and gradual growth of limited self-knowledge and the intentionality of the other. Both grow together or both languish together. Five, there's a Roman five, number 15 in your text. 
uh, Historia Humana. Cano's final and most innovative Locus Alienos is The Witness of Human History. Book 11, in book 11, Cano criticizes uh, Sepulveda uh, for false conclusions stemming from a weakness of historical reason. What will appear in Cano's Opus Magnum as the tenth and final locus of theology, Historia Humana, including biblical, ecclesiastical, and secular history, was, however, as Cano admits, even in Thomas's work, hardly an explicit theme. The explication of human history as a locus of theology is, as Cano knows, his most single uh, important development or discovery beyond the letter of Thomas's thought. Cano announces that the recognition of human history will someday in the future open new horizons for theology, but he says that he hesitates to assert just how important he thinks human history will be, as he says, quote, lest he might seem to be promising golden mountains, as he put it, apropos gold mines. 16. Cano faced a dilemma here. On the one hand, the need for history seems so obviously necessary for and present in all theology and the other sciences that he worried if its necessity could be established argumentatively. On the other hand, and for nearly opposite reasons, historical works seem an unreliable constituent of theology, given all the imminent contradictions among science sources and historians. Kano will answer that the truth of history is neither so evident nor so elusive as to be incapable of being confirmed by its own rational plausibility, case by case. Of the two alternative contemporary developments of Kano's local theology, the integrative model stresses more, more uh, programmatically the abiding difference between Lotsi Propri and Lotsi Alieni and takes more seriously the need established by Kano for discourse among all the Lotsi in order for theology to attain an epistemological Catholicity, which is available only as a synthesis of the unitive goal and plural view of its sources. The alternative views that these two forms of base of local theology offer re regarding the continuity and discontinuity between Kano and Thomas point uh, to the further question of whether Kano and or Thomas, in their views on the experience of human history, maintain a sense of the need for resources of faith that are distinct from the passive experience of human history and cultural facticity. The latter might be extrinsic to theology or even faith, but they are arguably nearer to the place from which those called to faith begin ever and ever again the sense of experience is not extrinsic to us. Uh, the call to a kind of faith that never becomes self-evident and the sources proper to uh, such a faith are in this sense the witnesses to exteriority in relation to which the belief encounters the other. Now I come to my conclusions here, first of all, number 17. This topology of the situation uh, which is now over 50 years after the end of the Council, suggests what kind of place, what aims and methods should be sought for the future study of St. Thomas. If it understands its role as closer to the integrative model described above, 
so too in the sense that it is situated as just one place within a greater whole. The kind of future study of Thomas that seems most promising is not and does not seek to be the whole of Catholic thought or philosophical reflection, though the Catholic world would be a much smaller world without this particular galaxy. It seeks to be an avenue towards the resourcement of Catholic identity by opening a new forgotten paths to scripture, to patristic writers, to lesser and lesser known theological and ecclesial traditions, to conciliar and magisterial pronouncements, to difficult and happier experiences, to reasons for repentance and reasons for hope, for forgiveness sought and tender. This many-sourced identity will come into its own only by its relation, appropriative and or critical and or paracletic to the other, including to non-theological sciences and legal systems and to the works of philosophers new and old. The recent involvement of the Thomistic Institute in Washington in numerous university discussions is a sign of movement in this direction. The human condition and the living circumstances, quote, especially of those who are poor or in any way afflicted, so Gaudium et Spes one, belong among these theological places. Theological identity involves essentially a conversio ad alios. 18. And then there are those nearly golden mountains of history. What has arguably enriched the study of St. Thomas most since the end of the council is a renewed sense of history. In his commentary on Aristotle's De Memoria Reminiscentia, Thomas stresses Aristotle's distinction between a memory that keeps the other present and the recollection which is a search at places of earlier discovery for what we sense we have at some point forgotten. The former is common to many of the more developed animals, Aristotle tells us already. The latter is proper to humans. The discipline of history differs from simple celebration of the past in that it is dedicated to this very human kind of search. The productive sense of his, the productive use of history means that the cards are reshuffled. Much of what had seemed settled is set aside or forgotten. Much of what had been forgotten is recalled. Forgetting can be a blessing or a curse depending on whether it conditions or prevents needed recollection in their own new light. History is the art of guiding us to the best sorts of recollection and forgetting, including, as already noted, the brief forgetting of Thomas as Dr. Comunis, or the whole essence of Christianity, uh, in order to recollect Thomas as the very programmatic lux in tenebris that he brought to his and later times. Number 19. The Instituto has been blessed to have had in the last 10 years the guidance of Father Walter Senner as its process, whose historical work has done so much to recall forgotten dimensions of the historically situated thought, lives, and contexts of many figures, most prominently Thomas Aquinas, Albertus Magnus, and Meister Eckhart, and figures who, like John of Sterngassen, have tried to navigate their way among them. This has allowed us to forget many of an established 
identity or opposition that had become too fixed and stereotypical to do justice to the past or to the future. In his work, Walter Senna has proven himself a master, not just of content, but of method. His work on Sterngassen was also an experiment in editorial method. To make available new methods for historical research is a gift by which a teacher enables students and colleagues to continue this art. History becomes then a significant part of the misericordia veritatis, which is or should be the driving motivation behind Dominican scholarship. 20. And there is the final moment that I wish to mention, a necessary but distinct part of the conversio ad alios. No one will have understood the thought and purposes of Walter Senna unless he knows uh, the medievalist and librarian is also a political thinker and actor. My own first vivid memory of Father Walter taught me this lesson at a very large and public conference in Hanover in the year 1991 on European unity, where Pater Senna took the podium to warn with a good dose of paresia against new animosity towards Eastern Europe. It was a similar lesson to the one everyone can still study in a more basic um, context in the volume that issued from Walter Senna's lecture as Master of Sacred Theology in the year 2014, in which he spoke on Thomas Aquinas and politics. I think he has found a fitting successor in Thomas Joseph White, into whose hands he can entrust this feature of Thomistic studies, not to be concerned just with the past, with Bavaran, but enriched by that form of alterity to help themselves and others stand firm in the test of the present and future, und bewähren. Thomas saw the intellectual life as a work of mercy, and he saw mercy as a form of solidarity and hope. May the study of St. Thomas at this institute provide its paracletic witness to mercy and truth, to solidarity and hope. Thank you. Exactly, but I would, I'll take a try, and if it's not what you mean, then tell me. But it, it's a sense of doctrine that as something which is truly temporal, as say it has a past, it has a present, it has a future. And it's not something which, uh, it's a living organism. In, in, in some sense, it's John Henry Newman's sense of doctrine as something quite analogous to an organism that needs to grow and has many aspects to it. But there is a view of Christianity as a praxis, as a form of life, uh, where there is no place for a doctrine. That's uh, it. 
I, I, uh, I had the impression that in some of the theologians you have mentioned, that there is no place for it. Well, not, not, in none of the theologians I mentioned is there no place for doctrine, but perhaps there is a sense of a kind of uh, pragmatism. Hmm? Um, I think of Alistair McIntyre, who once diagnosed uh, the problems of the times as being um, identifiable on the symptoms of the too great of a presence of managers, of um, a... Uh, as we go, managers, uh, therapists, and uh, uh, ascetic elite. And of course, the church needs to be in dialogue with the times, but also to see its luctus langue, to see its, its problems, and to know that it shares in them, but also to work at overcoming them both in the world and in itself. And if the church would become a place where you had managers uh, in charge, with co-workers, ministers, who were just therapists to tell people that things were okay. And that just especially directed to the, the aesthetic elite, those who could afford to shape their lives in ways that are nice. Then that would not be the church that the times need. The times need a different kind of church because the times also need to challenge themselves in that regard. But again, I don't know, I can't put my finger right now on somebody who would explicitly deny the importance of doctrine. Thank you very much, Professor, for your presentation. Uh, in the fourth point, you have presented two hermeneutical options. One, only the innovations count, and second, a mandate for future theological synthesis. Would you comment on a third hermeneutical uh, option that would consist in a kind of doctrinal um, expanding again top uh, line that have been assimilated and that have been considered very alien to the tradition of the church, such as Enlightenment philosophy or Protestant elements in liturgy, so as not to, con uh, to make a conversio alios, as you say uh, in 18, not the conversio alios. But the Thank you for your question. I think, in fact, um, of course, maybe it was implicit in the other models, it has to do with continuity, discontinuity. Part of the discontinuity that is necessary would be to absorb, uh, for example, things outside the church, but also to eliminate false directions within the church. There is, the, there is a place there for reform. That's why, in terms of the council, it's called a hermeneutic of reform. That doesn't simply have to do with um, failures which were absorbed from without. They can be also failures which developed from within. And, uh, of course, there's a a need, if you like, to balance the hermeneutics of gathering in the sense of things with the hermeneutics of suspicion. And there is reason, of course, since the call of Christ to convert and believe in the, in the gospel, there's also a need for that kind of conversion that the church needs to ask itself if it's doing well. And if it's not doing well, 
That's not always because it's absorbed things from without, because it's also failed to develop from within. I think there are enough cases in today's church where I don't need to elaborate. Um, and, um, but even to, to be more concrete to the examples you gave, there certainly are sides of the Protestant Reformation and of the Enlightenment that are important for the church that she would not want to do without. For example, of the council, it was the admonition from the Calvinist Lucas Fischer, which warned the Catholics against a kind of Pollyannic, uh, rose-colored glasses look of the signs of the times. It was because of the admonitions of the Protestant side to remember that we are very corrupt in the way we read the signs of the times and we need to examine them in light of the gospel, that you had that marvelous nuancing in Gaudium et Spes Four to read the signs of the times, to scrutinize them in the light of the gospel, that wasn't the initial Catholic impulse. The initial Catholic impulse was to say, well, God does many things, wonderful things in our lives, and we can just praise them. It was the Protestant reminder of the brokenness of humanity that goes into the church that also was an admonition for scrutinizing the signs of the times in the light of the gospel. And that is the lesson which many, even in the, this alienational, so-called alienational side, they are often less ecumenical than the integrative side. And so I think uh, what you mentioned is a wonderful field for larger discussions, but I wouldn't fall into this polarity of saying that the Enlightenment or the uh, Reformation is the source of uh, some of the things that need to be reformed in the Roman Catholic community. They, so at times, yes, but at times we have very different sources for that which needs to be reformed. <laughs>